This is Shaka Wart speak. <laughs> Where am I doing? Hey, we're back with another episode of Shaco Art Speak. I'm your host, yes, Ryan Letario. And you just heard a little word from our sponsor. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> That was actually really well, good. Go, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know, it's fine. It's all we good. don't actually have a sponsor. So that's what we're going to um, play now <laughs> so that we can create like a Pavlovian, Pavlov's dogs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a little Pavlovian effect. Maybe some of you will want to be our sponsor. How about that? That would yeah, be good. Yeah, you may be feeling a, fee- a need to like spend money right now. Because Sometimes you have to sort of create a space. Try another sound effect really quick. Let's see if another one might uh, work to. Just try one. Just try a random one. Okay. Can't do it. I can't do that. I don't even know. Okay, that's pretty good. That feels like, like I'm, I'm getting ready to get windows. into a Tears for Fears video. Yeah. <laughs> one more. Let's do one more. I, I feel like I was trying to like like relaunch it's my like email It's like a, a Max Nice way of telling me something. I can't do something. Thank you for watching PBS. <laughs> now, these are weird. <laughs> Yo, Christmas. Oh, shock, shock, move. There we go. All right. All right, we're done. So this is the most confusing <laughs> intro we've ever done to a, a Shaco Art Speak episode. I but don't know, man. Yeah. I still think uh, I really love the tie dye. T- yes, exactly. Yep. What was it? Gosh, it was the denim. Yeah, denim tie-dyed. underwear. Denim underwear, and there was something about MacGyver. <laughs> denim. Yeah. That checks out. <laughs> Demo, <laughs> denim. Cheese drinks. Was it denim diapers? Was it denim diapers or was denim denim underwear? I can't say denim. (laughs) You know, it's funny uh, that all of our listeners would be super confused right now, considering the topic that we're going to talk about. (laughs) And what is that topic, guys? We're talking about communication. We're back in the soft skills uh, conversation. um, And we are talking about (laughs) communication, which is is fair. And I think Cody makes a a really valid point, which is... uh, I have a soft body. We may not be actually communicating... Uh, well at all in the first yeah. two minutes of the podcast, but you know us, uh, you love us, and hopefully this does communicate in a nonverbal way. A few things that Dude, we Dude, there's actually... no way everybody listening loves us. Raise your hand if you're listening to Spite right now. Some people listen to get like <laughs> like doom scrollers. Some people listen to just so they can be angry and get be like this guy. Yeah. Some people some hey. people I think listen because well, uh, I mean, they want to see us. <laughs> it's a particular <laughs> type of service to be able to get someone. Where I'm, I'm really that messing. Maybe I'm really joking, though. Honestly. They can go and do something productive. I, I will say, like, however you feel about us. We That's right. You. Brain debris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully it's just. Uh, this is why we just, shouldn't get coffee before the podcast. This is exactly right. why. This is the coffee hitting right now. Hey, is it possible? So, I, you know, I've dropped some LBs. Is it possible that caffeine... <laughs> not to be confused with LPs. Yeah. yeah, not LPs. I'm making any rock albums not until Ken gets back. But are we... Is it possible that caffeine can affect you more because you're carrying around less body? I would almost guarantee it. Yeah, I think also like uh, it, it, like I've reduced a lot of like my carb and starch yes. intake. So I, I know a lot of things affect me differently. It depends. It, it's completely dependent on how quickly your body metabolizes metabolizes things interesting because i do feel a little extra hyper <laughs> so i'm like oh man you know i normally well when i'm eating better i drink more coffee yeah it's kind of like it's like the closest thing to like comfort food yeah, yeah, yeah. and the byproduct of that for me is is the jitter so i normally only can really drink like a, a two small cups but i've been dipping into the third cup and today's the first time i've had like a third cup in a long like dude, a real third cup i usually don't finish an entire cup of coffee in a day and i'm on like three holy or four. smokes yeah dude yeah because you're because you're isn't that weird yep well i feel better so hopefully my brain 
Heck yeah. It works a little better. No, I think... Uh, Gareth looks great, by the way. Hey, Cody guys, looks thanks. Cody looks the same as he has since I've known him 14 years ago. Yeah, that's pretty consistent. Cody's cons- Cody is consistent. That's why I love him so much. I don't, when, when you For his consistency. I don't think he had the beard 14 years ago. Uh, definitely not. That, I definitely didn't. But I remember when that's it was fair. starting to grow in and it didn't look as full as it does now. It didn't was start a, growing my beard till I got engaged. Mm. That's, that's what happened. It happened. It yep. started. It sprouted. Shaved the morning that I got engaged and then Never haven't looked back. Looked back. <laughs> Dude, the day I got married, like I could feel the buttons on my jacket. Like I was gaining weight at the altar. <laughs> I was like, we got to get this done quick because I'm not going to stay I, in the suit. I don't know if I should be laughing at that. I apologize if I need to. You do it. You do it. You that do wasn't it. my experience at the altar. You do what you need to do to make you feel good. Right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Is there a sound effect for that one? I, uh, probably, <laughs> just, <laughs> probably just my raspy <laughs> laughter. Weezer. Yeah, we did have somebody write in and they said, hey, Gareth, we know you're actually laughing at something and you think it's funny when you do that wheezing laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, That's I've a fact. never picked up on that, but thank you for letting me know. Yep. I now hear it. So appreciate yeah. you. Thanks, David. Self-discovery. Caudalasma. Like asthma laugh. <laughs> Caudalasma. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, we are talking about communication is one of the soft yes. skills we're going to be bringing out in this series. Um, and, you know, communication is uh, a little important, which, you know, might be kind of like tooting your own horn if you're talking about communication on a podcast. Yeah, I'm afraid of that coming off that way. So but at the same yeah. time, I mean, you wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't feel like communication were already an important thing. Yeah. You wouldn't be listening to a podcast unless you thought that was something that mattered. Fair. If we have any defenses that we didn't start the podcast with an episode about communication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for real. So if you're with us right now on episode 130 plus. Thank you. Yeah. And you think we just are really bad at communication. We're glad that you found something else. <laughs> that draws you to this podcast. <laughs> also, if you think we're bad at communication, like uh, a little bit's on you yeah. if you're still with us. <laughs> so, um, but we do, uh, we do want to get into communication because it's really important. Um, and I would say that like, if we're kind of charting out the landscape of communication, um, one of the things to say is that there's really nothing we do that doesn't involve communication. Mm, right? words. I mean, um, because you even think of things like internal internal dialogue or reading books, listening mm-hmm. to things, even things that we're doing in a solitary fashion, there's still some kind of like communication or conversation happening internally with a piece of work, with an idea, with whatever it is. Like these these are things we're constantly engaged with. Mm-hmm. So then, I, and I think that might be one of the reasons, just kind of a hot take over here, one of the reasons why when we see communication not work well, we get frustrated by it because it is so integral to like, all of our mm-hmm. existence. Um, I don't know. I could be swayed differently, but um, I think that that's, uh, you know, when we talk about communication, the first thing that has to really be said is it is an entirely prolific thing. It's not, we don't have it in certain spaces. So other soft skills you talk about, you might say, oh, I might use that every once in a while, or this might be something that comes up in particular situations. Communication is not that. Communication is kind of a bedrock foundational part of any of those soft skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got something, Cody? I guess. I, uh, well, Go for it. Jump on in. Yeah. I don't want to derail the conversation to make a point, which is what I mostly ever do. Uh, so let's try not to do that today. <laughs> Why deny yourself, right? Yeah, I know. Goodness. Um, no, because you said pro- prolific. So I was just listening and thinking about 
Now that doesn't mean that people do it well. No, no, no. Prolific in the sense that it's it's like it's just always happening. It's pervasive, always happening. It's pervasive, pervasive everywhere. It's, it, it, it's so no, I agree with that. So I wasn't pushing against that. Actually, I was like, it's just making me think about it. And and so because that is there, a couple of things that I'm trying I'm trying to figure out how to say this. One is like a diagnostic of our time, which is the most direct modes of let's say interpersonal communication. Um, people are highly sensory sensitive mm. and highly um, inclined towards a kind of mute response to situations that require looking someone in the eyes, communicating, mm. understanding what you're doing, understanding what they're doing. Uh, there's a kind of destabilization that has pervaded the prolificness of communication. Mm. Um, and that has happened over time. And, you know, there's a million episodes you can go listen to that probably accumulate into an argument for why that is. Mm -hmm. um, so does that, before I make my point, then does that, does that at least square? You, you no, track no, with what no, I'm no. saying? Is I, that clear I, enough for, for someone listening outside? Yeah, I think it's clear enough. Um, so, uh, and part yeah. of me, and I don't know where you're going with this, but part of me, like the, where I, where it pops into my head when you say that is, um, Almost like as we've seen the uh, deeper and deeper individualization of mm -hmm. our society, like communication has even become more individualized. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in the sense of like my autonomy to communicate as an individual to other people. No, I mean my yeah. autonomy to communicate only with myself and to almost avoid yeah. communication outside of me. So it's a breakdown of, so some people talk about this as a breakdown of like um, shared, shared reality. Okay. The, the assumption that there is a shared reality, not yeah. that not that I'm saying that we don't have a shared reality, because as soon as I, as soon as someone is hit by a car or whatever, like you realize the that reality. there's there's a shared reality, or when someone serves you a meal that you ordered, that's because you share the same reality. Mm -hmm. You just compartmentalize or compartmentalize what you think that means, and you you privilege that to uh, particular particular instances that foreground your individuality. Uh, for the sake of foregrounding your individuality. Mm -hmm. So, um, but also that there's a kind of, um, so if you think about things like there's, there's a diluting of, of knowing, which dilutes, there's a diluting of the demands for knowing things, um, gosh, in such a way that you are necessarily driven to think about other people in that equation. Mm -hmm. Um, because of what you just laid out. So, you know, individualism in the way that you're talking about it, et cetera. But also uh, there's like a social stuntedness um, that comes from a, the pacification of people. Mm. So the pacification means I'm not using certain muscles very much. I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not required to. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not working the farm. I'm not you know, there's people that don't even believe they should work. So we're in such a reclined state in general that there's less to communicate with another about something outside of you and that other mm -hmm. beyond getting what you need. And so on average, most folks are communicating silently behind screens, clicking buttons. That's yeah. still communication, but it's not embodied uh, communication of a first order kind. So this is all just to set up this conversation. So what I want to say is to go backwards then is to say from my convictions, my beliefs is that, um, you know, I've said it in the past and I, people may not catch it, but, um, 
I, I, you know, I believe there's some kind of higher power. I believe mm -hmm. it's God. So I believe that reality is actually spoken. Mm -hmm. Every, every observable existence is, is both spoken and is both spoke and actually still being spoken such that it still is mm -hmm. by a non-contingent reality that I could get into some other time that's upholding that by the power of its words, i.e. God holds reality together. And we can get into all the science, we can get into all that like some other time, and I'm anybody who wants to talk about that, I'm, I'm all for it, all the whatabouts. But what I'm saying is at least consider it as an abstraction, if, if not a, and consider it as a metaphor if you don't believe the same as I do. Mm -hmm. So, so, but I would urge you to consider it the other way. So if everything is spoken, everything is operative, everything is speaking, nothing is neutral. Um, that means that reality has intention and speech with it. Mm -hmm. um, and we are situated, we're nested in and purposed into a reality that necessitates response to the speech. So we are first responder, we are, we are pacified initiators. So we still initiate, but only because something has been initiated first in terms of communication. So here's what I mean by that. And, and like, I mean, your body as a body is communicating in every sense by the virtue of its existence. Mm. Every bit of reality, you know, I call creation or natural reality or physical reality, that it exists is speaking what it is. Mm -hmm. It's a rock. Well, what is the rock comprised of? What molecules? What, at w what level, you know, at the quirk, up quirk, down quirk, you get down to the, um, the smallest observable phenomena and, and it is speech and then the nothingness below it is speech. So, so, so we exist fully integrated, fully embedded into a purposed reality that uh, precludes a kind of discovery mm -hmm. a coming to understand, which we're afforded because we're born as babies and we grow up into adults, which means along the way, we, uh, our ability to communicate is also wedded to the need for existing and survival and relating, you know, cause effect, give and take sender receiver, um, and it's communication is never off the table because it's fundamentally what I believe the cosmos is comprised of. And I know that sounds crazy and I'm not saying it in a shallow way. I'm saying it in a shorthand way. I'm saying like all the different galaxies are spoken. And I know that sounds insane. The question is what kind of reality can speak such grand things and how small are we? That's a whole different discussion. But if we are indeed in that reality, and we come back to the present and we are being pacified out of the most primary way in which we exist, which mm -hmm. is to look each other in the eyes and communicate for the purposes and ends of whatever has been deemed important or necessary or, or generatively available. And we're removing ourselves from that. That actually means we're dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. So why we're having this conversation in my mind is because the alternative is to humanize at a point in history where people are running each other over for political beliefs, where a person who is in political office kills a journalist for speaking about them in ways that they didn't want discovered, where, like, where we are fighting over everything and there is no soft skills. There is no soft skills towards communication. There is no listening. So it's, we are at a critical juncture in, our, in the history of 
humans and and I'm not being alarmist like and and especially in if you're in the states the United States if you're listening and you're in the United States I don't care where you land politically you are in a place where um there's never been a more critical time to communicate and I, how you and that's the last thing I'll say for now how you know that is true is you can't microwave anyone into change you cannot impose no. change and that's the only thing we're trying to do yeah yeah I think it's uh, there's a million points. Um, one is that I would like the idea of uh, like you almost make a case for then um, communication is actually um, based a lot on knowledge. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, which which we understand kind of intrinsically, I think. Yep. You know, it's like I can't I can't talk to you unless I know some things. But it's almost like no, the the quality of communication. Uh, happens with knowledge, and I don't mean this to be like a like an academic school knowledge, but theoretical I mean like knowledge, an actual like thinking and understanding. It's more of an understanding than knowledge. That might maybe a better word for it that doesn't carry the same baggage. But when I understand a person, I can communicate with them better. But yeah. I can't understand them unless I take some other time, like you're talking about. The other thing is it it helps to, I think, break up a few of the categories because usually in communication you've got verbal and nonverbal, mm-hmm. right? Or verbal, written, nonverbal, depending mm-hmm. on how people kind of separate these. Yep. So you have like body language, heard language, written or read language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of these things allow for different types of communication. Um, but if we break it down into what actually communication looks like, that's kind of, I think, a, a good place to maybe even kick the conversation like mm-hmm. into the practical sense. In a way, so because I think that within everything you're talking about, Ryan, um, when I talk to folks who are they're like professional communicators or they help people with mm-hmm. communication, a lot of that help I think comes like one sided. But I also think that our current uh, cultural temperature allows for one side of communication, which is the the speaking mm-hmm. or the say the, the writing. <clears throat> so a lot of people would put this into uh, expression. Right. Mm-hmm. So communication is my ability to freely express without you expressing otherwise mm-hmm. or pushing back. That's right. And that is communication. Um, and I would say that's actually not communication at all because communication would be the entire process. So you have. Yes. Yeah. Communication Mutual. only happens with sender receiver. And if you go back into older conversations, ancient conversations, uh, communication also does not allow for you to already have your mind made up yeah, or you to already know. So much so. It know, is to posit. That's right. Now, if you're giving a lecture that you're communicating in a certain kind of way and it's dominantly sender to receiver and you right. know, and you either have uh, access to intervene in that conversation or that lecture or not, and, mm-hmm. and those are uh, a civilized, ideally agreed upon situations that are socially acceptable. So yeah, we, there's a contract. We, that's that's right. There's a Yeah, in, in a lot of occasions really are where uh, you, you walk into a room, you walk into a movie theater and everybody's agreed to a kind of unspoken social contract that we're all going to sit down and be orderly and watch a movie. Right. Right. Or, or hear a lecture mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So when you talk about the point that I was making is worth going back and trying to unmuddle and listen to later if you're listening is that nothing is neutral and you're, you're not only communicating when you think that you are. Yes. We're starting from. 24 hour communication. When I'm sleeping, that is communicating I'm sleeping. When I'm awake, that is communicating I'm awake. When I slunch my shoulders, that communicates that I'm a, I'm a little low. And I stand up straight, that communicates that maybe I'm not feeling so low. Like 
What I'm trying to say is it's so pervasive that you actually can't micromanage it. Yeah. And so if you can't micromanage it, th then there's a whole other set of questions about being. But one of the things that you're getting at, and I think this will set, you know, it's kind of, I think, set it in motion is that it isn't one sided. And, and I'm just going to put one little quick caveat in here for even if you're if you're an artist, and you're like, well, what's it got to do with me, which we're getting to in the professional sense. But yeah. let's just say you're painting. Mm -hmm. Well, so, you know, like I do this color thing with my students I've talked about in the past, but and you know it, you know, if you've read anything on color. And so, you know, I have a black notebook and a white notebook and I put a same piece of blue paper cut in half on the white and the black side and the black side, the paper looks lighter. The edges look crisper and it looks brighter. It's lighter and brighter mm -hmm. with crisp edge, which means it stands out more on the right side. It looks softer, more diffuse, and the color is deeper saturated. So the, the same blue is shifted according to its context. Mm -hmm. And if you stare at it long enough, you can't change it because it has its own properties. And it, it's the way that we are wired to notice. And it's mm -hmm. the way that which is noticeable is um, exist in feedback to our, our eyes and our brain. And so you're in a give and take relationship. So the only way you can change things is to move the color paper around or cover it up, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then, and then every decision you make is giving you what I would call sub, um, objectively subjective feedback. Mm. Uh, in other words, it's there and can't not be there. It's just a question of whether you care to notice or not. Mm -hmm. And it is influencing you. So when you're, when you're communicating with the making of the thing, it's, doing what you expect it to do, but it's also doing more than you're aware of and it's affecting you just like the white paper. So if you stare at the black and the white paper, you can't, you know, it's the same color and yet you can't make it in your mind's eye mm -hmm. seem the same. Well, why? Because the black and the white context, the paper exists within is not allowing that it's, it has shifted it and it cannot be anything else unless you make it. So, so what am I trying to say? Well, it's give and take. Once I know that it's not merely an imposition of my will onto the materials I'm working with, but it's a reciprocal relationship with the materials and what they do by effect mm. and how they affect me, which means I have to be vulnerable and open to being affected. Now, it may not on the Richter scale of change register at all. In other words, I can walk away from it. That's the biggest move. But if I care to enter into that kind of relationship and I care to be sensitive and notice well, then I'm going to realize I'm being influenced. I'm being mm -hmm. affected. If that's true in a painting or a drawing or a two-dimensional space, well, it's even more true in larger spaces. We talked mm -hmm. about this with the phenomenological series and, and um, is related to how you relate to people, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to negotiations around professional or deals that require soft skills. Yeah. Uh, so your, your affect is influencing the way people experience you. It's a give and take. Mm -hmm. Now, another thing is uh, with all of that that you're getting at is not to hear what I said earlier as when you come into communication, you bring no knowledge with you and nothing totally. is real and nothing is solid. They're, they're still very objective things, but it is to, you know, to use a phrase that we've used on the show a lot, um, kind of hold things with like open hands. Yeah. You know, so it's that's like, the objective subjective. It's there, mm -hmm. but it's subject to whatever the variables and conditions are. So it's, yep. sub, it's not subjectivity. It's, There's no such thing as subjectivity without objectivity. So just to put that out there, that that's yeah. not a logical possibility. I know yeah, it's like, a binary that can't go away. Yeah, can't you can't get away from that. Yeah, because you you would never call it subjective if there wasn't an objective. <laughs> right. Like you would never acknowledge variability if if all there was was variability. Mm -hmm. So that that's inductive. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
felt like you were going to say something, Cody. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of thoughts. I think <laughs> um, my job requires a lot of communication and, you know, I help people learn how to do that in, within a relatively narrow business context, but, you know, learning how to talk with people on mm-hmm. the phones, um, how to make sure that's a good experience. And one of the big things, which I think both of you are really getting at, is the idea that uh, communication is not just output, it's it's input, it's listening. We, we focus almost more on listening to the other person. Um, and I love what you all have said because you've expanded out that. You know, this communication, which we just by default presume is between persons. Mm-hmm. And in the realm of soft skills, largely, that's what the conversation is. But I love how we've pushed the conversation out to like if everything in reality has its properties and those properties are being projected outward for any subject to perceive as communication about the thing itself and that's how we start um it's just a question of well go for it yeah it's just it's like a it's epistemological sort of scenario that we find ourselves in yeah and then we're knowing beings receiving beings we can take that telegraphed uh, effects like you're mm-hmm. talking about and then come to know the other because yeah. a lot of this is about like me and the other and mm-hmm. what h- how contact between the two can happen and then you know you take that so as individuals in reality that's just already happening and then communication between persons is then the specified context of okay now we have two beings that are capable of doing that coming together I love what you said about like we're all sharing the same reality. Mm-hmm. So largely, a lot of the conflict that we have in communication is in like the marginal details. Because oh, well, it's not even the marginal details. So like it is that you want to keep going. Yeah, I was just saying like because if we're if we're a certain type of being, humans mm-hmm. in an objective reality that we're all coming against, then when we come together as people and either communicate well or don't communicate well, a lot of that has to do with. Um, 90% of what we share is the same, then the 10% differences tend to be the points where miscommunication can happen. Would you yeah. agree with that maybe? Well, okay, so I would agree with that. I would, I, would, I would say that what you're saying is what I think works in the ideal sense, like ideally what is the case, but I think there's just like a little foil is that would, in, in this equation that just should, it's like, it's like you want to account for this. Mm-hmm. And that, that accounting for is most communication um, breakdown has to do with people both thinking that they're a center of the universe. What I mean by that is like, it's always what I, it's my desires, my way. And, and I, and if, if I am God, that's, you know, lowercase, like I'm mm-hmm. the center of the universe. Well, now you got a bunch of people walking around going, I'm the center of the universe. And you're like, no, I'm the center of the universe. Well, no, I'm not. And we're not saying that literally and directly, but out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and mm-hmm. it, and it cries this because so a lot of times we are, um, that 90% in that area, like we're actually falsifying and angling and mm. s- sub-level staging and manipulating and coercing, you know, in really like seemingly benign ways mm-hmm. um, because we relativize our behavior against like the most- The worst example. Yeah, the worst exce- yes. examples, right? So relative to that, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm just, I don't know why we can't get along. Well, neither one of you are being honest mm-hmm. because if you were to be honest, you'd be further from- you know, you'd be further in your own kind of chaotic scenario and, and further from your desired goals, whatever that may be. Hey, I, I need to have a peaceful dinner with you and a spouse or intimacy spouse or friendship or I need this job mm-hmm. or hey, 
I'm a sandwich between a boss above and someone below me and then someone else. And so I, I, I my, my position is not fixed, but, mm-hmm. but I think that it should be fixed because I'm owed that or, you know, it's like whatever those competing desires are. So a lot of it comes down to our place, position and desire unspoken. And we create conditions where we are not able to be truthful. Um, so, so that is prior to in, in what, I think, and I, there's more, I think, but that's, that's like, I think that's a lot of what the, um, the confusion is around the details. It's very rare that people are purely empirical and are just with a pure heart striving after something and going, I understand it this way. I mean, that's a very rare occasion. And, and actually when you find that, what appears to maybe be that it's often censored or, or like canceled because it's like people speaking freely Mm. if there's no freedom to speak it here's the lack of freedom to speak constrains you to thought at some point the lack of ability to to speak freely constrains what you think freely and if you can't think freely then you and i and i I put qualifiers around freely by the way if you can't think freely at some point it regresses to primal nature which is unpolished uncivilized raw emotion but if you can't express the raw emotion directly you become a kind of muted passive aggressive individual that vents and has tantrums and like yeah. because because all of this has been all of this has been stunt blunted out but that which is being blunted out is also a problem so it's like, it's like, what I mean by that is like, if you go with the first premise that we have wrong, we have wild desires and we think like almost too self-centeredly mm-hmm. and you're really expressive and free with that. Well, that will create all kinds of chaos and problems. Mm-hmm. The stunting of that is regressing further away from addressing that problem, mm-hmm. which is you're not the center of the universe. You, you see what I'm saying? So, so yeah. I mean, it's really dehumanizing. That's what I mean by the dehumanizing effect. So we never even get to deal with the facts as they are very rarely. Mm-hmm. And think about how many times can you speak the truth at your job? Don't get in trouble. Anyone, think about that. How, how often do you have to monitor what you say? Oh, I mean, I would, I mean, a large, it's, so it's funny you say that because, um, you know, a large part of teaching people to do what they do at my work is how to modify how they say, like mm-hmm. say things and communicate facts. Compelled speech. In such a way that, it's receivable to another person mm-hmm. and doesn't trigger certain emotions and you know you know a very very controlled way of being yeah. able to sp- speak about what's going on with certain situations so new information can't break in really because it's the maintenance of um, already vetted information it's so it's it's a it's a it's not new information can't break in because sorry generative or, or like yeah new information has a hard time breaking into that space it's not a very generative space the goal is to try to ensure that within a relatively brief conversation with a customer, we can communicate the information that they're asking mm-hmm. to get and resolve whatever concerns that they have um, in a consistent manner. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've got the, the business need for consistency, sure, just, um, which is real. And then, and I know we're probably starting to get a little bit more into the details, but no, I think it's good. Um, a lot of it is is actually at least the desire behind it is to find ways of communicating facts mm-hmm. 
that is broadly receivable. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of dealing with like, a, okay, generally speaking, using these type of positive words instead of these type of negative words, allow people to hear what we're saying and interpret it and understand it without some of the emotional barriers that pop off when they hear like this negative word. Sure. No. Yeah. Versus, well, here's what I can do for you. Yeah. And it's, and it gets down to those like really tiny granular um, things. It gets down to tone. Tone, here's, a lot here's, of tune. Well, here's what I can do for you. You know, like yeah. versus here's what I can do for you. I mean, I can't, yeah, you know, like, or we can't do that. Yeah, we can't do that. We can't do that versus. But see, we right can't now, do that. Options are, has no emotion attached to it necessarily, but we assume emotion attached to it. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, and that's where you have uh, phrases that the mere ordering of the words um, implies a tone that may not be there. Yeah. Um, so then you have situations where you could say something with the tone that's assumed to go with the statement. Or you could say something without the tone that's mm-hmm. assumed to go with the statement, but the tone is still heard. A exactly. lot of those effects yep. that you were talking about earlier 100%. that are joined together that we just can't mentally separate as much as we'd like to think we could. 100%. And so then it's like, okay, so how do I say this without even getting that phrase in there? Because this phrase over here actually has positive like emotional if I said, connotations. If I said, you know, the thing is, I think your work really sucks. And it, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad it's there. It, it'll be like a cross wire. But if I said... I don't know. I mean, I, your work's really good, and I just, I don't know. Eh. Exactly. If they, what do we hear more is that we hear the, um, this is what I mean when I say that we've become more um, to, to the internal nature, which is away from the objectivity of what's being said, mm-hmm. and much more to the secondary, almost tertiary aspects of non-neutral communication, because we've lost all objectivity. We're not purely objective, but I think we've lost it. So then people can't look each other and they can't say, they can't shake hands very well. Mm-hmm. That's pre-COVID. We couldn't shake hands very well. We can't, we can't be direct with each other. I think there's, um, there's something in the modes of communication that we've employed. Um, you know, so let's go back, you know, 1950s. Uh, we start moving away from, you know, like dramatized radio. Yeah. Uh, and then we move into a much more hyper um, uh, simulation-based television Right. So everything is performance based mm-hmm. in the sense of like the news is performed to you. K-fabe. The show is performed to you. There's right? less imaginative the engagement. Right. There's, and this is something that like I'm even dealing with my kids when we read books out loud is imaginative engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So then what we have is we start to develop a lot of like visual tropes and visual things and a cultural, uh, cultural language, a cultural trope of different ways that things yep. happen. Um, then you move out of that entirely and you move into a space that has no, um, no visual really or oral communication. Mm -hmm. So you move into something like digital online, social media stuff. Um, and then you start getting these weird things that happen where somebody, um, has, is texting you and they said, yeah, but that didn't happen for you. LOL. And it's like, they have to know that I'm joking so that they don't assume. Yep a tone into it and assume some other communication is not happening. So we get so used to that so quickly over 15 years of this kind of communication and whatnot um, that we then move into a place where even speaking to each other, I'm already assuming a large amount of what's going into the conversation that may not even be there. Mm -hmm. Right. So subtext, we may not be honest. That person may not be honest. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're, they're, they're doing the same performative thing that I've understood for the last 80 years to be a part of how we culturally communicate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And all of that's built in so that what we're dealing with before we can even communicate is trying to shove as much of this baggage off the car mm -hmm. as possible so mm -hmm. we can just see yeah. and just have a real human. And so the dehumanizing, humanizing thing is really, really huge. Um, and, you know, as somebody who probably has a, a leaning towards idealism in a certain way, like there's even times where I'm like, okay, a lot of that kind of communication where those things are happening, where people are bringing that baggage of like, I'm going to assume that you have a lot of problems you're bringing in this conversation. I wouldn't even call that communication. Yeah. If things are being spoken, if things are being received, if things are being heard, it's still not communication. Well, so yeah, so, so what it, would, it doesn't move us towards anything really right. positive or generative. It doesn't yeah. do any of the stuff we've talked about. On what every I would say, what I would podcast. say is, is that it's it's um it's not that it communicates; it's what it communicates is actually dehumanizing. Or or yeah. so 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 it's it's like if you get it in your head that there is no occasion that doesn't communicate. Mm -hmm. It's just does it communicate well or poorly, or does it dishonestly or unfaithfully communicate? away from what appears to be the stated goal. Yeah. So like, like, you know, you go into a meeting and, and the stated goal is we're going to um, work on the production of, of these things for this reason. And the conversation is like, appears to be false starting or in a st stalled state mm -hmm. that appears like we're going through the motions of the meeting, but actually nothing is happening according with the said desires. Like, so what it is, is then it's just a stalling out for some, unspecified reason mm -hmm. it could be that it's all a shenanigans it could be because someone wasn't prepared it could be like really we don't want this to go anywhere it could be like we're just paid to be on the clock and so we're just going to fake the work because really what this is about is making sure that we're just paid like you know like i mean just a quick examples but so that's communicating but yeah. it's not communicating dishon it's, it's communicating a dishonesty that sows confusion and confusion drives people into different responses. And mm -hmm. one of those response is, is um, to create meaning out of the confusion. So you start going, why did that happen? Why? And now you're, you're spelunking into yourself, trying to figure out something that actually transacted outside of you. Mm -hmm. So now you're actually ineffective. You're, you're kind of diminished from the um, optimization of what you are at your best especially in that working circle or whatever is a job or, or in a marriage or whatever. So, cause now you're eating up time, uh, trying to answer a question in yourself because you're not allowed to ask it because it wasn't ever on the table to begin with because yeah. people were acting dishonest. Here. So that's a, it becomes a burden that and So what it means is everybody handles those kinds of burdens differently, but most of the ways we handle those kind of unspoken burdens are, are not, the best of what we are or could be or could be doing in light of what we say we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah. And so, so it, it communicates, but it sows, that's the dehumanization is it, it drives us into ourselves in ways that uh, provokes um, insanity or uh, decivilizing effects. Like you get bitter, you get frustrated, you hold it in, you start mm -hmm. to, like all these things start to become viable options as an emotional response to a lack of clarity. Mm -hmm. So if we were to try to nail down what the goal of communication is, is that going to be situationally specific of, oh, in this situation, the goal of my communication is unity? Or in this situation, that's knowledge transfer? Or would we say that we could look at any situation of communication and say there is sort of like a goal that we mm -hmm. can use to say whether or not communication is 
happening well or happening poorly. The goal of, you want to go for it. Oh, I was going to say, I, I think, you know, the goal, well, no, you go ahead. All right. So the goal, this is going to sound un, unsatisfying. The goal of communication is the recipient, is the reciprocation of what has been first and foremost communicated to us. So I, from my theological mm-hmm. perspective. Okay. So, I'm so, with you. Okay. So the goal of communication is to in, enjoy and enjoin ourselves to that which is first and foremost being communicated to us mm. for the purposes of delighting and flourishing as a human race. Then you walk that down into the situational details. Yeah. You walk it into well, how does that work out in, um, you know, this, this state of affairs government, like, like, so how are, how is that goal of frustrated by X, Y, and Z, by mm-hmm. human desire, by, by surplanting yourself as the one who is God and not right. So, so for me, yeah, the optim and, and here's how we know this. If you've ever had someone you're in love with, which I think we all do, um, there is a whole body communication that is in, in, in the best, most honest sense is enthralling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, the most intimate communication of, of words of affection and love and physical intimacy, like sex, whatever. All of that is, you know, just to use like a most immediate mm-hmm. vulnerable example. It's, it's interesting how if you've ever really when you're really, you know, in love with someone or you really want someone, you're really, it's like not enough mm-hmm. because it isn't supposed to be. And it's supposed to overflow into more people, i.e. children. Mm-hmm. And more people bring about more richness to be shared with more people in light of that primary ordered communication, the reciprocation of that which has been revealed. Uh, and so, and so, we build societies in awe and excitement for the grandeur of the one who communicated. We, we, we exist and have our being in the shared richness. We get glimpses of this when we give gifts and receive gifts, or when a stranger is kind, or you know, when a loved one you know gives you a hug, or mm-hmm. you know, or when you're sitting across the table from like your grandparent or your friend or your child, and you make eye contact, and everything is spoken in a moment that uh, nothing verbal was said, and like galaxies pass through your eyes, and and you you can't you can't take it in mm-hmm. because you weren't supposed to by yourself. You're supposed to share it, mm-hmm. and so everything else frustrates that all of our folly, all of our brokenness, all of our inwardness. So we, we then build societies negotiating who gets what percentage of this because we don't believe it's been given to us in abundance. We don't believe that we are meant to share as like fountains of abundance. So it's pr- proven, protect, and preserve. And I'm just saying at the macro ultimate mm-hmm. level. So if you take take that and then you start plumping it down into every situation, you know, even like difficult days with your spouse, like where it's really raw uh, transaction. Yeah. Hey, I need you to not have an attitude with me today. And hey, I need you to actually do what you said you would do. You said you'd do the dishes and you didn't do it. You didn't take the trash out. And now we're at the brass tacks. We're, we're teetering on chaos because mm-hmm. we're about to go into the depths of our own frustration. And that's going to, 
overturn the flourishing of the, of the environment or at work. Hey, I had a stressful day. I'm tired of being the boss and you, you all not doing your job. And I just got chewed out by the CEO. We're, we're teetering on the loss of the things that we think we need first and foremost before anybody else. And when everybody starts to teeter, all, all hell breaks loose, right? Like mm -hmm. we're always dealing with that. Yeah. It's like with the uh, zero sum game mentality, communication can only end up being manipulation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, your, your question about like, you know, is it, does it come down to kind of situational goals? And, you know, sitting here thinking about that because like, through undergrad, like I, I learned design through a communications program. Mm. So communication was part and parcel to what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Like it was like your, your design was based off of does it or does it not communicate? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, like some of that can play out in a very like specific way, right? It's like it's got to communicate this thing mm -hmm. in a harsh, like just boring whatever way. Um, but it's also the way that I understood like modern art better than renaissance art at the beginning of things because of communication mm -hmm. um not that you know some classical painters not communicating something yeah yeah it's just where you it started it's your entry point yeah though. yeah yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, and it's clear you got a clarity on it so that mm -hmm. clarity holds it confirms it does so you know there's that and then my mother's a literature professor um, my father um taught theology so it's not like writing and reading, communicating, we're not part of the home. Mm -hmm. So all this stuff was there. Um, and so whenever I went through any class or talked to anyone who dealt with things like writing or speaking, the first thing they always said is that like nothing is going to happen until you understand who your audience is. Mm -hmm. yes. So it was always, who's your audience? So in a sense, I would say like, you know, is it, you know, is, is the goal like situational? I'd say, I don't give a crap what the goal is. I think the goal of communication is knowing your audience and ennobling them like that that's it because if if you and i cody can sit here and talk if i don't ever do that we never communicate mm -hmm. now we can i we can do that and i can actually care about you as a living embodiment of of ideas and experiences and other things and if and if you're ennobled in that sense like we're going there's a communication is almost just going to happen. Like it's almost a byproduct because it's fundamental to being human. It's it fundamental to the yeah. order it's, it's of the, reality. It's That's the prolific the, nature that yeah, we talked yeah, about yeah, earlier. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's in there. And so I don't know, there's, there's part of me that's almost like, it doesn't happen if I say so it's right. happening and I can actually say so. It's not whether, but which, yeah. not yeah. whether you're communicating, but which type of communication uh, you're always communicating. communicating. If you start with, we're always, it's just, it becomes poor, bented, not effective yeah, is it c communicating is it actually are you connected mm -hmm. to where the, the plumbing lines up and there's a transfer of, of or a go-between a flow between the two really yeah. great communication is is enthralling yeah the non-neutrality of human existence mm -hmm. has a lot to say about how and why things are done yeah and i think that's really important and i just like hear that like especially if you're sitting here as an artist or designer being like yeah what's the what's the reason for this it's like the non-neutrality of human existence has a lot to say for how and why things are done Absolutely. It I also mean, like, means uh, everything you've ever made does communicate. It may not communicate exactly what you wanted it to. You may not actually know what it has communicated. You might be surprised by the way others respond. We say that like, oh, um, you know, other people will decide what the art means. Well, uh, yes and yes and no, the art can mean what it means and other people can decide what they think it means. Yeah, people can hear you the wrong way in a conversation. Correct, and you could have and meant you something. you can speak the wrong way in a conversation. That's right. Mm -hmm. um, but we can't throw one party out entirely or there's mm -hmm. no communication whatsoever. Otherwise, we also can't throw out historical 
precedence. Mm-hmm. So like that's another thing that I think is like communication is wildly historically conditioned, mm-hmm. um, which is where you get to that weird point because you're, you know, we think about we're present tense wrangling all those hidden desires and motivations that might be preventing good communication. We're dealing with whether or not we're sharing the same historical context with the person that we're trying to communicate with. You know, Mm -hmm. did we grow up in the same town, same lingo, Mm -hmm. same landmarks, same shared experiences? Yeah, all of those, all of those factor in for sure. Yeah, they're like all. But only because communication is a fact before we're here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what it's like. It's not, it's not predicated on us, but it is um, manifested through us in some sense or contingent and facilitated. Uh, We partake in the flow of human communication because I think it comes from somewhere prior to humans. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, I know that the three of us could sit here for hours and talk about the the, the juicy details. Yeah, we're just getting started. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the definition. Is there a things. sound effect for just getting started? Uh, I think it's the, this is Shaka Ward speak. Oh, okay. I think it's just that That's right. opening. They're not going to have like a little, uh, little pistol shot, like this. the sound of a waving flag. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, you know, part of this is, you, you know, we have these soft skills. We're talking about communication, kind of like what it is and, and parsing out some of the territory. But I think it's good to kind of shift into a spot and say, okay, so it sounds a lot like um, uh, communication is almost, um, it sounds like we're saying communication is a, is a natural human activity. It is a part of what we do. Another natural human activity is to get in the way of natural human activities. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's like a, a lot of... If you if you go out there, you can find any website that's like fourteen ways to be a better professional communicator, um, and they're all going to say the same things, which are more or less going to be underpinned by what we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Because what they're going to say is, if you're speaking to a crowd, find three people in the room and make sure you're making eye contact with them throughout your presentation and talking to them. That's humanizing. Also, also, that's a recognition that you're not God and you're finite. Yes. So you actually can't make eye contact with all two thousand people. You <laughs> right. actually are only really sized to be talking to a couple, which raises the question of, should you really be talking to that many people to begin with? That's a whole other discussion. Right. Yeah, I know. You can't ask questions like that. <laughs> Maybe we're not meant to talk to thousands of people right, directly right. in a room. I'm just saying like, it's really interesting. Like it's a weird thought, but it's worth thinking. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then you run the risk of, with those sorts of articles. Farticles, you, you said? Articles. Oh, articles. <laughs> I don't know what she said, but um, <laughs> it can be dehumanizing to take humanizing activities and turn them into rote techniques. Yeah, it can, and that's Ooh. that. Then get them. That's instrumental. That's in- instrumental. Yeah, instrumentalizing. Yeah, and that's yeah, why yeah. I think that the conversation up to this point is an important one to have before you get into like, okay, what what is this focusing on in my professional activities? Because if you don't focus on like, what are you thinking about communication, the big picture mm-hmm. about what humans are, you just get to hear 14 techniques no, totally. to wield upon. So other should we people. do like a two parter on this? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, part of me is like, I think we got a good 15 or 20 minutes more okay. of conversation. I don't okay. know if it would feel like a full blown out episode. I don't know. But if it ends up being two episodes, you know, you'll know it because you're listening to the second part now. Um, okay. But I think that. You know, when it, with those things, if we just instrumentalize those, you know, Mm -hmm. you go to a website and you have your professional development Mm -hmm. and you just kind of do that and it doesn't take into account like the actual people. Your character. 
Yeah. Character mm-hmm. is a lost virtue. A hundred percent. But if it doesn't take into account, you just you just use those as like tactics for doing mm-hmm. it. Um, like there's plenty of people out there that do that. We know professional speakers that yeah. that's what they do. Yeah. And they're, and they're like eviscerated. They don't have any, they're hollow. Mm-hmm. And and if I had to like make a metaphor and kind do of tie it. this into to the arts. See if like, it communicates. The equivalent would be I've learned 14 techniques for manipulating paint mm-hmm. that I can employ on a canvas while not really having taken the time to know the paint mm-hmm. and what it does. It's, it's and intimacy. Intimacy with it as a substance and how mm-hmm. it interacts with my brushes and my surface. How, how warm it is in your studio. So, so I could take those 14 techniques brush strokes and, and mixtures and things like that. And I could go to a canvas and I could get something done. And maybe in the immediate sense, people could be like, oh, that kind of looks sophisticated. Look at all these variations of, mm-hmm. of how you've employed these techniques. Mm-hmm. But it's not really going to hold up mm-hmm. in an enduring way compared to the person who really took the time yeah. to yeah. listen or know well, at the or end of the day, At the end of the day, not to chase it down, the communication at some point will be will communicate the lack or the vacancy of what you're describing. Exactly. For someone somewhere. I can't get outside of um, whatever thinness or lack yeah. that sort of rote employee of technique will produce. It yeah. will have effects and there will be sort of maybe an illusory effect mm-hmm. that first hits people, but then there will be a enduring, maybe deeper effect that's behind it. Yeah. Also, th- that's a freedom we possess but it's an understanding worth considering so that you understand what season you're in and what you can and can't do in, in light of that conversation. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, like the more demanding way uh, requires more time and intimacy. It's demanding and, and it's costly because we have created a society that does not support uh, those kinds of demands. Um, they don't subsidize, subsidize those demands. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so so I mean, which bears on actually knowing how to communicate. It's mm-hmm. a cost to listening to people. Mm-hmm. So, and then you go and you like watch a video of a conference of like a entrepreneur self help guru who's giving this big lecture about communication tips, mm-hmm. and the impression of that may ultimately be like really flashy and on the surface, be like, oh, this is so compelling, but it might have the effect more like that painting that we were just talking about yes. where like it doesn't maybe have an enduring presence or meaningfulness or underneath totally. of what is communicated is like, Oh, you know, maybe you end up kind of feeling used or cheapened somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think or about, a bait and switch has happened. I think about the first time I saw a Ted talk in like 2007, mm-hmm. 2008. All right. So back in the day, it used to be kind of like an invite only thing for you to even be there. Yeah. Right. So it was very, very like, uh, cordoned off and it, the whole thing was thinkers, educators, designers. Like it was a very specific group of folks. It was sort of Silicon Valley based, you know, and it was, it was supposed to be these cutting edge folks on the edge of everything. Competent. Very extreme. Like the type of people who get like MacArthur grants. Yep. Right. It was like the folks who you're like, Oh, you're one of those kind of people, mm-hmm. you know, and people attain to it. And, and it was thousands of dollars to go sit in these seats. If you could be invited and be able to listen to these people. And so when they launched their website and you started hearing these, there was some amazing stuff. So yep. some of the first ones I saw were, uh, honestly, <laughs> oddly enough, um, about um, uh, relative color. 
And there was a guy who did a fantastic presentation, was talking about it, talked about the psychology of it, mm -hmm. the, the physiology of it, everything. Um, and so there's some really great things they were doing. Well, now it's become a trope, mm -hmm. right? So you have your, your TEDx stuff, which is just another way for TED as an organization to make a ton of money or whatever. Um, but it's the same thing. They all have their standard way in which this happens. So they employ a technique. Stand on this spot. You have this many slides. You have to speak in this very particular type of cadence. Step forward when you're making a point. Step back yeah. when you're done. So how many of those, to your point, Cody, how many of those TED Talks do you listen to and you're just like, well, there's no content here. Like there's nothing. It's like you're, well, so, you're doing, you're employing all of the yeah. things. You should, you've got the right communication vehicle, but there's no content. And that's, and so there's two, a couple of factors. One is, um, the way people desire the value of what they perceive is derived from uh, uh, speaking within a context like that. Mm -hmm. And the tendency for humans to appropriate knowledge rather than actually become knowledgeable so that you appropriate all of the homiletics, all the vernacular, all the movements, et cetera, so you can um, sort of be the actor performer you're talking mm -hmm. about up there. And if you perform it, then you are it is the idea. And so, but the other part is the, um, um, oh shoot, it, it left me because it was something I said earlier. It's, it's, it's the, um, oh dang it, it's gone now. It well, totally left my brain. I'm sure it'll, it'll come, it'll come back, back in two seconds. Well, I think, you know, maybe it's like just thinking of the last bit to like wrap up with stuff is if, if this is kind of a normal human activity. And we get in the way oh, of it. Let a me lot. just say real quick. Okay. Okay. So it's it's what I was trying to get at before with so we've talked about this with art too. There has to be a margin of risk. Yeah. Somebody has to be able to get up there and say something that no one's ever heard before that offsets the the fruit cart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of of a ted and in if that is not really there, then everything is a performance. There has if, to be the possibility. It has of, to be of the real no applause. Yes, there has to be the ability for no applause. There has to be the potential that your talk isn't a TED talk mm -hmm. at the expense of TED talks. Yeah, like, yeah. like somebody has to come on and say things that everyone is pissed about, mm -hmm. and, and and goes home and thinks about it for ten years, and then realizes, oh my gosh, you were you were right. Like that has to really be there. Co really good comedians, you you know that they may say something incendiary. Like, you have to be ready for that, but you also have to ca have a category for like, they may do their run, but they also may do something I've never heard of before. Mm -hmm. They may say something that actually targets me. Yeah. And the best comedians, which are far and few at this point, have that. And anybody who's willing to go is agreed to that, that we may encounter something at a first order level that we've never accounted before. Not that you've never seen them perform their standup before, mm -hmm. but that in addition to that, there is a genesis or origination moment where something happens. Mm -hmm. And if we don't fight for that, that's the freedom of speech, by the way. Mm -hmm. That's what it, it, freedom of speech is wedded to creativity and invention. Generative possibility. Generative possibility. And so when TED Talks vacate that, because the average, so you know, I always use, I always think, I don't know why I always think about Nirvana, but when Nirvana sings, then I've got this like line of bands that appropriated. And when you get to like the fifth band, they're just a hollow appropriation in Nirvana who generated a sound mm -hmm. that they are appropriating and it de degradates. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. Yeah. That's going to happen. But what can't happen is what is happening, which is we mute out the real ability to revise, edit and say things 
that are not always perfectly palatable in a pre-existent way. And it's funny you bring up Nirvana because there's a perfect example of that exact same thing and Kurt Cobain really just bucking the system. Mm -hmm. So um, they were invited on like part of a press tour or something. They were on this like British music show and the British, this show had a written in their contract. It's like, if you appear, you have to lip sync. Yeah. You have to have a track played yep. and you've got to perform. And Kurt was like, no, like we're not, like, this is grunge music. Like, yeah. That's yeah, not yeah, like yeah, part of it to, is to the authenticity are. of that's like, right. it could be a screwed up performance. Yep. Halfway through somebody's busting the drums yep. or breaking their guitar. Like that's that has to be it. able to happen. So if you go watch the clip, it's fantastic. So Kurt was like, okay, can't get out of it. Manager says I can't have to do it. PR people says I have to do it. Label says I have to do it. I don't want anything to do with this. So he's standing up there like an animatronic doll, just opening his mouth over and over again, mm -hmm. like moving his hand flat against the, the guitar. And he's just like, and he is the marionette that that has made him to be. And he's doing what he did so well and pointing out like the yeah. fallacies and the problems with these things that made him such a sad, dark person. Yeah. And, you're, and what's amazing is it communicated because you're talking about it now. Mm -hmm. It's memorable 100%. because it did something. It broke through the matrix, the noise. And, uh, well, the, it became yeah. that that possible event that like yes. everyone who showed up and everyone who watched it was like, "Whoa, I've never seen this before." Well, it's like this Jim, is not it's what Jim I was Morrison expecting. when they told him on the Letterman, not Letterman. I forget what the show is called now. Not it was Letterman, but it was before Letterman. But but it was like, oh, you can't say was um, it Johnny Carson. Maybe it was Carson, but you can't say. Yeah, uh, Morrison had the door song where he wasn't able to say, uh, uh, "Girl, you can't get much higher." Yeah. So so they're like, you got to change the lyric, and so when he does it he just seamlessly you know that i would be a liar if i were to say to you the ironic ironic is like you know i'd be a liar if i were to say to you girl we couldn't get much higher mm -hmm. and he just like seamlessly says it and broke broke the contract in that way yeah and it became this like substantiating moment of some kind of uh perceived uh authenticity now it, it, it has to run the risk of causing I don't, it's not condoning harm, but it has to run the risk of, of going awry mm -hmm. in order for it to go into flourish. It, it, like you, you yeah, can't there's got to be a chance bets. the patina can break and yep. the actual surface can be yeah. exposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's humanizing because it shows that what we are are people who uh, can screw up, who are not correct, can be hurt, who, but who also want things to uh, grow and change if mm -hmm. necessary, um, and are very hell bent on making new things in mm -hmm. the world that is highly generative. Yep. And I think, you know, it's funny. It's uh, actually what I was going to say before you started saying that point is I think it's good for us to talk about a few things that can help us kind of get ourselves out of the way mm -hmm. to enable communication to happen better. And the thing that, um, you know, I was, I was sitting on is kind of like uh, we have to have some sort of honesty there. And I think that's the same thing that you're, you're referring to mm -hmm. in, in a lot of ways, Ryan. Is that you know when I talk to somebody like I have to I have to be I have to actually be me. Mm -hmm. um, so how this how this comes across is I will have past students or current students or artists or designers who will email me, and you can feel the form email just sitting heavy in the conversation, where it's like, "Hi, I hope this email finds you well and that you've been doing well this spring week. The weather's great, isn't it?" 
I'd love to take a few minutes. And you're just like, Ugh. yeah, like what computer wrote this? What, what yeah. like really like, patronizing tone? Hey, how's yeah. it going? I'd really love somebody just to say, Hey, you know what? I've been struggling with a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, but I remember I took a class with you and you had a thing and I just really wanted some clarification. Uh, if you have five minutes, that'd be great because I am freaking out. Yep. Like if I got an email like that, I'd say, Oh, this person like has a real thing going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so like stripping away the, 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 the trope level language and mm-hmm. just like being like, bring yourself to it because I, I cannot be engaged in a humanizing relationship with somebody who's not allowing themselves to be a human in the first place. Here's the problem with that, which I agree with. So it's not a problem with what you're yeah, saying, yeah. but no, here's the problem you. we're facing is when people resolve to that point, they realize they don't have much to do or say <laughs> because so, they've been eviscerated and hollowed, which is what I meant when I said earlier in the talk that we've been, overly stimulated and sensitized to where we're overly sensitive to light, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. yeah. So we're just like squinting our eyes. Like we can't handle too much sound. Like we're, and then we're muted. We, we really can't say too much. And, and so, but we can surf the web. And Mm -hmm. so like when you, when you acknowledge that you're left in a really potentially a really like you're left in a place where you actually have to ask for help. Mm Mm-hmm which is really what you should be doing when you go to college and things like that. You should be coming in a posture of like, oh, I'm here to receive help, not affirmation. Mm-hmm. But that would be like a cultural pandemic, endemic maybe, like mm-hmm. of the likes we haven't seen. The truth would be staggering Yeah. as far as willingness to admit, because think about how broken home, like our homes are and our lives. And but that's actually what's needed. That's the real reset that needs to happen is people need to recognize their great need mm-hmm. and, and, and start from there as opposed to, I mean, gosh, this is so much more complicated than anything that I'm saying right now. And what I'm saying doesn't sound sensitive enough to the complication, but, but it is just to say that we, we've really gutted ourselves of uh, the value of knowing things. Actually, we've automated all of it. So, to, so to get honest is, um, really hard and typically means you're going to get trampled. So the question is, is there a virtue value to being trampled? Mm. Um, There's no situation where you're not going to suffer. And so if you try to go against the grain, that isn't by definition suffering the the grain. Like you you can't get around it. So Mm -hmm. you're going to suffer. You're going to be like, you're going to be unpleasing to people. You're going to be dissatisfying yeah, because think of all the ways where you compensate and it buffers you from receiving what it would have been like had you had not compensated. And then imagine removing that and living with what was would have been received, what you're mm-hmm. avoiding. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a that's not a sexy proposition. No. Oh no. Unless there is a prime mover. Unless there is a higher order to things and there is a um you know, metaphysical discussion or, you know, for me as God, there is something more. Well, then, then that's the authority to appeal to something that can provide a certain type of assurance outside of our, or direction. Yeah. Even before the the assurance that comes from, um, an explanation for the why of who you are and why things are the way they are. Yeah. Such that you could go against the grain Then you can experience any suffering. Yep. I mean, if you don't have any assurance of why that's good or worth doing, I mean, you're just not going to do it. Yeah, who does that? Yeah. I.e., yeah. a lot of people don't. And so yeah. they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, That's an interesting, not to, the interesting thing about Christ is he, he didn't die and suffer for friends and family. He died for enemies. 
he suffered for people that were rebels against him. That's an interesting proposition. You know, the Bible says like some, some people would die for their friends, you know, sacrifice their life for someone they love, mm-hmm. um, that love them. Um, you know, and you'll see people do heroic acts. It, it happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, rarely is the, the act heroic for someone that is overtly your enemy, that w- wants you dead. That's what's interesting. That's an interesting communication. Like, because yes. if that happens, everything else is released and freed from that act. Oh. It, it frees you to actually endure and, and go against the grain and communicate what is true because somebody, the only one who could go ahead of you is establish the um, premises for going ahead. And, and actually, um, and there's more to it. It's not just merely fellowship. You know, so I don't want to list mischaracterize what I, what I, what I believe, but, but it, I'm just trying to put it out there as, you know, we are so afraid to talk about these things like religion, spirituality, that kind of thing. We, we rarely do actually. And that's like almost everything in some ways, as far as conversation, whether you agree or not, um, and whether you can have a rational conversation about it or not, but it is a really profound communication. If it's real, it's worth considering who would do that and why, how, and what does it mean for you? that communication can free you into the kind of communication that we're talking about, where you can trust in that act in order to be more of that so that others might see it. Because what I've, we've always said, I've said a million times, you can't pick what you've never seen before. You know, dying alone for something no one else has done or seen kind of sucks, I'm sure. <laughs> it's like, but if someone's done it and you know that that's the path, well, then there's a comfort in the midst of the suffering. Because mm. suffering is never off the table. Everyone will suffer. We, we, nobody gets out from suffering. No one. The richest person does not get out from suffering. Steve Jobs suffered on his bed. Oh yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like for everything, it still came down to like, oh my gosh, I'm alone and I'm going to die. So like, this is a costly time to be having a conversation about communication because it's the very thing that is being constrained and controlled, where you know, um, algorithms are controlling it, social pressures are controlling it. And if, if it, the premise is you can't pick what you haven't heard and no one's allowed to say what you need to hear, we are in trouble. And, and so we have to act authentically uh, in our vulnerability and in our um, relative truthfulness. I don't mean to the truth is relative, I just mean that your relative understanding of, of what is the case at that moment is your problem opportunity to discover deeper what is true. And the only way you can do this is by bringing yourself to bear on that moment and find out whatever state you're in, whatever your beliefs are, you have to put them against the test. You have to test them, right? You have to find out. If you never do that, well, you've resigned yourself. Well, then what is your life? You've, you've resolved to what then? A stasis that does what? Preserves certain values like... So, you know, there's an entrepreneurial spirit in the pursuit of truth that can transact in the unfolding of what you are meant for. If we're not permitting that, you got to ask yourself, why are we fighting against that? That's a spiritual warfare in in a very physical way. The censorship and it's interesting, man. I don't know if I'm, yeah. Mm Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's clear that you see- All the more reason why Gareth's point stands that that you actually have to do that it's just to say that there is a cost attached to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. Yeah.
I can't remember what I was going to say. Sorry. (laughs) That's all good. I think, uh, I mean, you know, with all this, when you talk about, um, like why you would say, like, I don't care like what, what the situation is for the communication, why I would care more about like humanizing somebody or understanding your audience is really that it's because if, if what we posited at the beginning of the episode is true, that communication is a prolific foundational human activity, then that, that actually should matter. It should mean something, but also, um, coming to agreement with that or coming to complete disagreement with that is mm-hmm. actually going to impact like how you deal with other people. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you agree that it is a foundational human activity and it has a lot to say about the other person and that it's a humanizing or dehumanizing thing, well, that, that really, it really does hit in some of the even cultural sentiments that we probably got taught as kids in kindergarten, which is like, you know, Hey, if they said that to you, would you feel good about it? Mm-hmm. Like, that you don't age out of that concept, no, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's that's essentially um, doing a teacher others. asking you, yeah, and, and a teacher asking you, like, would this humanize you? Yeah, and if it wouldn't, then why are you dehumanizing them? And that's a so not to gosh, man. So you're it's interesting. You appeal to a, like a past experience we have, and then you say that still stands. So what you're speaking to is is the notion that a narrative framework carries forward with us. And we're coming out of we're coming out of a lot of like I think millennials and the was it Gen before Gen, out, Gen whatever Gen Z Gen Z Gen X like whatever's Something. next um, or af, after oh, that. what comes after millennials yeah oh, that's right. Gen I can't remember I lost but, track yeah it's just a soup so just yeah it's an alphabet soup so just to Zimbles. say that um, just to say that uh, the thing that was thrown out and really dismantled coming into like your deconstructionists. Der- Jacques Derrida, super damaging, man. It's always easier to deconstruct things than it is to construct things. Yeah, it's the harder thing like to, to kick over a block. Tower. Yeah, so it's always easier to deconstruct. So all the deconstructionists, post-structuralists, create a postmodern dilemma where they're 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 supposedly is deconstructed a new meta narrative, which by the way becomes the new meta narrative. That's a yeah. bait and switch, mm-hmm. but it takes effect. And what we get up into the early two thousands is the full embrace of there is no narrative except for my own personal narrative. Mm -hmm. And that runs its course and it's very dissatisfying. So we go through our kind of hipster ironist phase and then it it gets to the radicalized individual phase, which then looks to impose a narrative that everyone must submit to. And we are living in that. What we don't understand is the narratives that exist prior to that, some deal better with reality than the, the current narrative because the current narrative allows for some to be in the right always and for some to not be and it's it's um simplistic it's it's um i mean this sincerely it's ideological and um there's a naiveness in that level of idea ideological thinking idealistic yeah, it's yeah. I, because you're not accounting for the brute facts of reality you you you, you um you craft it around the narrative and the narrative's not thick enough to deal with reality, so stuff has to get pushed out. It's like the joke about physicists only being able to calculate stuff with perfectly spherical cows. Yeah. Where it's like you have to <laughs> like yeah. reduce things down to be able to make your calculation that you then state yeah. so so um, confidently is true. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, but if you actually like added back in all the detail, there's so many other factors that are coming to play that could change the outcome that you're proposing is right. the guaranteed outcome. Right. 
So that's the thing. So what, what do we do? Well, we, we, um, we don't want to admit that. So to, to, to participate in the freedom of the conversation is to admit that you have limits to your knowledge that not everybody else experiences and that you may at some point be further down the chain in the hierarchy of thinking and, and who's, uh, got the best handle on any given subject or experience. Right. So there's a, there's a humility to admit that you're not it. Mm-hmm. That's in conflict with what I said earlier about us kind of thinking we're at the center of the universe in our subconscious or pre-consciousness. So when you're there, um, you have a choice. You admit you're not it. And then you're open to who has light to shed on the situation. Or you insist that not only are you it, but everybody else that agrees with you is. And, and you, you, you say in the name of no hierarchies, you, de-heart, you, you flatten it. Mm-hmm. And you relativize and say, well, it's just your opinion. And then when that opinion still shines too much light, you suppress it. It, it can't actually give voice because it is a constant contrast and contradiction to what the narrative that we've ideologically established mm-hmm. and want to live within that is safe and comfortable. And so, so none of that is dealing with reality. So what you're seeing is you're seeing people deny reality. I don't have to go too far into it, but you're seeing people deny reality with their own eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're fundamentally desi- denying what is obvious axio- at an axiomatic level for the ideology and they're orienting themselves in a way where it's not only dehumanizing the people that they're opposed to, but it's actually dehumanizing them and they can't see it until they're cast out. Mm-hmm. This is the descent that's happening. Um, and because we don't believe that, we, we say things like, well, there's no hier- there should be no hierarchies. Right, but that's a hierarchical statement. Mm-hmm. You can't get around it. And some people call that like splaining. You know, people yeah. call it mansplaining or some people say white splaining or logic splaining, whatever. It's like, yeah, but everybody's splaining. Mm-hmm. So what are we appealing everyone's to? Everyone's communicating. Right, everybody's communicating. So, so you've, you've, the Mickey is you've asserted a dominant narrative, but it hasn't been vetted. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't show whether or not it's thick enough to deal with the total messiness of reality and all the contradictions that we in and of ourselves have a very hard time reconciling. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's utter rebellion against reality. And um, I think that's why we said RIP soft skills is because mm-hmm. it's really related to, to being human. And, and um, this is an invitation to, to, to actually be a true rebel <laughs> in the contemporary sense by actually owning being human. There's something about soft skills that are the skills to navigate reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. And um, yeah, when those are lost, you, you have a hard time doing a lot of things. And I think that's one of the, one, why we wanted to address communication a little earlier on. The thought I had behind all that is um, if, if communication really is like uh, people coming together in a place of understanding and mutual respect then it's going to be not just foundational as a human activity, but it's also going to be foundational to how we establish relationships, how we deal with things, how we Mm -hmm. show and give respect, um, how you receive uh, criticism, how we move on with conflict. Like All of that is going to be based off Mm -hmm. of that really real idea. And so when you have uh, folks who talk about uh, reduction of soft skills, I think we do get into a space where it's like, oh, well, there may be also a reduction of humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you become barbarous. Yeah, and you're just kind of going around doing your thing, lashing out at people, mm-hmm. not communicating, not resolving conflict, yeah. not doing a number of things, right? Because those those skills aren't there. 
Um, but it also becomes highly important because as an artist and a designer who relies on an audience or you are not that thing, we don't necessarily like talking about that, but outside of an audience, you're just kind of having a hobby that you're playing around at. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't have to be a huge audience, doesn't have to be the blue chip audience, doesn't have to do any of that. But if if we remove other people from the equation as artists and designers, we're not doing the same thing. You're, yeah, you're, 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 it, remember, it's, it's, it's communicating with you and you're communicating, but you're, you're inverting the communication away from its optimal best. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which is always a shared experience at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So in the shared experience is the optimal communication of the, of, 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 that flame that enjoins itself to the larger flame of, of, or the larger fire of human flourishing, if you will. So, so it's always communication. It's, it's only working for or against that fact. Mm -hmm. And so, so then it's like, so then you're, you're, you're not, you're, um, you're insisting on the world. So you're sitting at home in your studio and you're kind of doing your own thing, which we all do, Mm -hmm. but then you have no ability to communicate with people. You have no ability to sit down with someone who's not an artist. You can't, you know, you can't talk about your work. You can't have yeah, your work you talked about. Yeah, you you can't, can't contact you, anybody about yeah, it. Yeah, you're too vulnerable to be critiqued, but you're also you, but you're also insisting at the height of demand that everything orbit and support you. Right. That's a heck of a conundrum because what you're saying is you're the center of the universe and why doesn't everybody else see it? Mm-hmm. Because you're not the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the only possible reason. Mm-hmm. It's not. So so the flip is getting to know, that's the know and be known, mm-hmm. um, is a framework for, a vulnerable willingness to be subject to, uh, or sub- to other people's um, ignorances, along with them, uh, will be willing to bear with your ignorances because you're not the center of the universe. Because okay. you're you're a part of a larger story, and it's not just your story. Yep. You know, which means you actually have to pay attention to things that are not you and exactly. people that are not you. Yep. You have to listen to people and. The best art. A lot of times, not, a, not assume things mm-hmm. about other things. Mm-hmm. Because assumptions oftentimes stand in the place of true experience. Yeah, yeah, they deny, they buffer true experience because you can't be inconvenienced by it because you're too. We're 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 protecting, but if you're protected by something greater, then you don't have to be as busy with protecting or proving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, and I think for today, that's probably a good uh, good place to wrap it up. Um, just like to always say, you're a fantastic audience. We do love y'all, and we will catch you next time. Peace. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.